Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we're recording this on Tuesday, 9 o'clock in the morning, just so that uh, if that, when people do start listening, uh, if things go down after the fact of what we're about to talk about, then they understand why. First, let's dive into draft recap uh, real quick before uh, all the free agency kind of craziness here. What, what were your thoughts with the draft last week? Yeah, it's funny. I, I saw a lot of people saying that uh, you know, it was boring and there wasn't enough trades and all that, as if we didn't have a Bradley Beal trade and a Chris Stapps Porzingis trade right before it. So I think that you know should be you know factored in uh, to to your analysis of you know the amount of action that happened. But it was still interesting. There were certainly teams that made uh, big moves that were you know impacted their financial ability this summer dallas was one of them uh trading back with okc and then still getting the guy by all accounts that they wanted in Derek lively and then uh you know it was just kind of a fun uh sequence because they created a tp which they'll then use to bring in rashawn holmes from the Kings. so they kind of covered their center position now as far as needs moving forward and they it's going to be really really close for them to have enough wiggle room to use the um either the potentially the non-taxpayer but uh definitely the taxpayer uh emily so that was big for them the kings uh huge swing for them by dumping rashawn holmes we now project them to be a cap space team this summer so that's that that's pretty big oklahoma city still a cap space team but they used about half their available cap space to eat davis Bertans deal i jokingly said they'll probably rehab him have him hitting 45 percent from three at the trade deadline, then flip him for a future first round pick. Cause that's just kind of what they do uh, there. So yeah, I, for the most part, you know, teams kind of stuck to their boards there. I thought Denver uh, had a series of nice moves where they kind of moved up the board a couple times in the first and second round as they, they clearly are reading the super tax coming and saying, all right, we got to fill out the back of the roster with high upside guys that are going to be on the, uh, team-friendly rookie contracts and and go from there so you know denver's uh you know taking interesting approach to the roster building so overall i thought it was a really fun night yeah one of the interesting things that i took away from this was teams were not afraid in this draft to joe go make that trade for the guy that they wanted whether it was in the middle of the draft or in the back end of the draft like when the warriors they send cash to get the guy that they wanted um, so I, I, I was kind of glad to see that there was uh, calculated movement instead of just movement to make movement to get guys on their roster or move just to get the picks off of their books so that they don't have to deal with them. It was calculated by a few teams to want to go and get them. Like you sort of said with Oklahoma City, they went and got Carson. Uh, uh, like I said, Golden State went and got Jackson Davis. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing another player or two that a team went and got it but I, I, I was glad to see that in addition to like you just said Denver is looking towards the future so they're they're calculating not only the short term with the financial financial situation that they're in but long term as well because then you have cost controlled players for the foreseeable future yeah absolutely there were also uh, relatively few clear-cut draft and stashes this year normally there's uh you know 
somewhere between seven and ten of those in the rounds. <clears throat> and this year there were only a handful of those. So that was interesting too, uh, especially considering we thought some teams may look for stash prospects with the uh, <clears throat> new CBA and the rules that are coming. So that was also another interesting thing that uh, played out a little bit differently than thought as well. Yeah, that, that's a great point because I did notice that as well. I think I only heard maybe one or two on the broadcast say, this is going to be a draft and stash kind of guy. I wonder how much of that goes into the new rules with that second round exception where, you know, they can sign these players to an exception and not have to eat into their MLE. So they're more apt to want to get players that could potentially contribute as opposed to have to wait two or three years. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think teams are now at a point where it's, hey, we we need that. Uh, rather than signing even someone to the veteran minimum, we need these guys at slightly less than that amount, you know, on our um, on our books at the end of the roster. Or in the case of Denver, who traded into the first round to to get Julian Strother out of Gonzaga, it's a chance to, hey, we get to add another guy on a rookie deal at the end of uh, end of the round, and then. Um, you know, Detroit made a move. They're, they're obviously a cap space team, but they, they gave up a little bit of cap space. They had a second or second first round pick uh, when they traded with Boston, who had acquired the pick from Memphis to get Marcus Sasser. So, you know, that, that was an interesting, uh, you know, thing there. And then obviously just player wise, you know, Cam Whitmore falling in the draft. He was projected to be uh, a lottery pick and he fell all the way to Houston at 20. Uh, there's, you know, since been reporting around injury concerns and i could tell you nothing takes a player off a draft board faster than a you know failed medical or a concerning medical um you know many teams will flag guys with a do not draft so we'll see if this turns into a michael porter jr situation where he fell you know all the way towards the end of the lottery and the nuggets got him and you know he's turned out to be a really good player for them we'll see if that happens with cam whitmore and the rockets uh moving forward um nobody was really overdrafted meaning drafted way higher than what was expected you know some guys went you know a range of you know four or five picks higher you know than, than what was expected but that's you know normal especially in a draft class that kind of flattens out uh as it does you know uh as this year's did i should say so i think that that was you know no major surprises there where anyone was like oh my gosh we you know collectively had that guy in the 20s and he went in the you know in in the single digits in this draft that that didn't happen nothing like that so so yeah all, all around you know interesting night as these teams you know kind of kind of move forward here with uh building their teams through free agency was there a a a draft even if it was a draft and then it got moved to another team that you saw that was a extremely solid fit for that team that you really like and you're looking forward to watching that player on that drafted team yeah, I mean, I'm going to take Victor Wembanyama out of the mix. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a pretty obvious one. Um, there, there were a couple. I, I really like Jerace Walker to to uh, Houston or to um, he played collegiately at Houston to Indiana. Uh, the Pacers, you know, by all accounts, were locked into drafting him, and they did a draft day trade with Washington, where Washington moved up one spot to get Bilal Koulibaly and uh, the Pacers took, took Walker. So I, I thought that was a good, good, uh, you know, addition there. I thought um, Taylor Hendricks to the jazz was fun. We're going to get into the John 
Collins trade a little bit in a minute here uh, for Utah, but that's, you know, still, you know, good, good uh, value there. A little bit later in the first round, I thought Brandon Pajemski to the Warriors, just a kind of perfect fit for everything they do. He's a good shooter, uh, good movement guy, knows how to move the ball, gets after it uh, on the boards. Um, I think he's going to be somebody who's actually probably going to play uh, rotation minutes fairly quickly for them. A little bit later in the first round, Chris Murray to the Trailblazers. It seems like they're keeping Damian Lillard and going to try to build around him. So getting a guy like Murray, who should be able to step right in day one at the forward position and provide some some uh, scoring and potentially some shooting, uh, that 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 was a good pick as well. And I, I liked what Brooklyn did with their kind of pair of picks at 21 and 22. They got Noah Clowney, who's a big, who comes in, fills a need, right away and then they went for upside with Derek Whitehead with pick 22 Whitehead's a kid who was a very high recruit uh coming out of um high school and then suffered through a ton of injuries just a really kind of not a great season at Duke and the the Nets are betting on the talent versus you know any of the production there that's similar to what happened with Nick Smith Jr to the Hornets again that was their second first round pick after they drafted Brandon Miller so they went for all upside with Nick Smith another kid who suffered through a bunch of injuries had a, a down year on kind of a weird Arkansas team and they they ended up uh, you know getting him at 27 so uh, i thought a lot of teams did a good job finding value players uh late in the round and i'll just say uh Jaime Jaquez Jr for the Miami Heat kid out of UCLA, he's probably just going to be good. I'll just assume that on the, you know, because that's what the Heat do. If they draft you or pluck you out of the undrafted ranks, you're probably just going to be terrific. And it seems like he's a great fit for everything Miami does and what they want to be as a team. So, you know, good, good addition for them. Yeah, it should be fun to see some of these kids in, in summer league here and see how they really start to, you know, stand out and then get into the season. So looking forward to that. Uh, You mentioned the John Collins trade. It's a great transition into the trades that we saw pre-draft and during the draft. I'm just going to say a few here, then we can go through pros, cons, anything like that. Um, First, I I like seeing that these teams are being proactive, um, making moves. John Collins is the move of yesterday finally moved. I mean, we've been talking about him for a while. <laughs> He's been on the trade rumors for what, three years now, it seems like. At least. I, I really like that move and what Utah is doing. Then we also saw Bertans go to Oklahoma City, who they ended up getting the guy that they wanted anyways, because it was a, a dump to get Bertans off the Dallas roster. Uh, we saw Porzingis to Boston, Smart to Memphis, um, and then Chris Paul and Jordan Poole was a swap right before the draft. So it kind of got lost in translation because it's a a move that has to come after a move. So that was interesting. But with, what, three days until the league year, I'm not sure we're done seeing any trades. Do you? Yeah, it it is. Yo, we're definitely going to see more stuff coming i mean it's weird normally the period between the draft and the opening of free agency which is generally about a week or so that's normally focused on options and guys being guaranteed and things like that so what happens is it is um in this year we're seeing a lot more action than, than we usually do normally it's a couple of trades ahead of the trade deadline or ahead of the draft rather 
then some trades during the draft, and then very little happens in between outside of options and, and guarantees, as I said. So what happened this year is now we're into, you know, teams are lining things up early. They're getting deals done. So I, I you know, like you said, we've got three days or so until uh, free agency actually opens or negotiation periods open. Uh, Friday, uh, the the twenty. Uh, what is that? The 20 no, Friday, the 30th at 6 PM Eastern uh, is when everything opens up. So I think we're going to definitely see, see some more trades and moves and things like that happen. Yeah. So let's go to the John Collins trade. We'll sort of work backwards here, I guess. So John Collins moved to Utah. As I said, I really like this move for Utah. They're, they're for a team we thought was ripping the bandaid off completely at the beginning of last off season. And then surprising us during the season with their play. Now acquiring John Collins on top of the draft that they had, which was pretty good too. What are the financial implications with John Collins moving to uh, Utah? Is that a draft or sorry, is that a trade that is going to happen now or does it have to wait until July 6th to happen? Yeah, this one's going to have to wait too because the Jazz are going to use cap space to bring in John Collins. <clears throat> so what happens in this trade, excuse me. <clears throat> I apologize, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold here. Um, what's going to happen is John Collins is going to uh, be brought in by a cap space. So the Jazz need to be in a position to have that cap space. Obviously they don't right now as this league year is wrapping up mostly because of uh, Russell Westbrook uh, being, still being on the books as dead money. That comes off on July 1st. So what will happen is this will be a July 6th or right around there after the moratorium trade because the mechanics of this trade are kind of fun. Collins comes into cap space for the Jazz. That's the straight, straight piece there. The Jazz are sending out Rudy Gay. They didn't technically need to send anything out, but I'm guessing the the jazz standpoint was, hey, rather than us having uh, Rudy Gay at six and a half million eating into our available cap space, hey, Atlanta, we're saving you almost 19 million in this deal. Why don't you take him uh, in this trade? So Atlanta is going to bring in Rudy Gay. Uh, they, interestingly enough, they have a uh, traded player exception, a TPE of about 6.3 million. As I said, Rudy Gay's salary is almost 6.5 million. That TPE is too small today to to bring Rudy Gay into it. But what happens is after July first, when the new CBA is in effect, the the little bit that little bit of extra matching in a trade where it's kind of you know you can match X percentage of the salary you're sending out um, or the exception you're using plus 100k. That plus 100k changes to 250k. Uh, just a little extra there to maybe grease the wheels, and that's enough. Now they can use that TPE. So what they'll do is they'll absorb Rudy Gay into that TPE, and then they'll create a new traded player exception of $25.3 million, which is the full value of John Collins' salary. So that's kind of the fun part you know, of this trade for the Jazz. Like we said, they're using up some of their cap space. They're, they're using about uh, – 18.8 million or so uh, of it, almost 19 million. So they, they were projected to have a little over 47 million. Now they'll have a little bit over 28 million 
available th- this summer. Now that could fluctuate depending on what happens uh, with you know Jordan Clarkson's option and all those things. If he opts out and they retain him, they'll eat into that twenty eight point four million. Or if they just let him go, they could have up to that amount. So it, it's it's still quite a bit of work to come for the Jazz here. But the big takeaway is they now have John Collins and still have a ton of flexibility moving forward. Yeah, and from Atlanta's side, having that large TPE that they could use for either one player or bring in two separate role players for a team with uh, Quinn Snyder now getting a full season under the helm, and we know that roster has to do something to improve. So having that TPE going into the offseason is definitely an advantage for them, in addition to finally moving John Collins and Utah getting that. Yeah, I'll say one thing for the Hawks. I would not expect them to necessarily use that TPE, um, at least not this offseason, because a big chunk of this trade was about creating long-term salary flexibility, but also getting out of the tax this year. And they've now achieved that. They were about $8.8 over the tax line. I'm sorry, let me rephrase. They were about $5.4 million over the tax line. And now they've dropped to about $8.8 million under the tax line. They don't really have a lot of roster spots available because they have still a lot of guys signed to long-term deals. They have uh, you know draft picks that they're going to look to bring in. So so we'll see you know, where it goes. But it's better to have that big TP than not because what that does is that allow them to make an unbalanced deal you know later on and into the season if they need to uh, you know rebound. So let's let's say you know they're sending out. Uh, you know Bogdan Bogdanovich at 18 million in a trade they 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 can now take back you know more money than they could have otherwise because they have this TPE available so that that's a you know interesting little wrinkle for them and a nice tool even if they don't use it right away yeah absolutely use it at the deadline if you feel you need to and you're in a position to if not because this goes live probably July 6th that means you could use it in leading up to this period yep. next year and poach somebody off of another team's roster that may be too close in tax or super tax or whatever it might be. So, Andy, sorry to interrupt you, but the yeah. important thing by that point too is right. They'll have more clarity on what's going on with their roster because you'll you'll presumably by that point have addressed are you extending on Yeka Kongwu and Sadiq Bay? You'll have a better idea of where Dejounte Murray is. He's not going to extend because even with the uh, more lucrative extension rules, he's it's still not enough for him to to extend his deal. Um, so that's probably going to carry out to unrestricted free agency in twenty twenty four. But that was all part of getting Collins, uh, you know, money off the books. He was owed seventy-eight point five million. That's now off the books. They have a lot, you know, less locked-in money than they had otherwise. They they, they were you know over three hundred and forty million, approaching three hundred and fifty million, um, in locked-in money for just six players uh, through the next several seasons. Now that's that's you know much more reasonably uh, down into to a range that makes more sense for them, given. You have to deal with a Kong Wu and Bay extensions. You want to get DeJounte Murray resigned. So having that TPE, it's a nice tool to have all the way through. Uh, you know, like you said, it'll be early July next season. Dallas Bertans goes from Dallas to Oklahoma City so that Oklahoma City can get the guy that they want in Kaysen Wallace. Apologize, I said Carson earlier. Kaysen Wallace. Dallas ended up getting Derek Lively the second. Uh so the trade with Oklahoma City taking on Bertans, 
Uh, is this a good fit or is it more just a lateral move and then they may move off Bertans? What is your sense with this move for Oklahoma City? Yeah, I mean, this was about moving up to get Wallace, right? They, they, they wanted to get him. They, for whatever reason, didn't feel like he'd last two more picks, so they wanted to make it happen. And there's probably some level for them of saying, hey, we can get Bertans back to what he was, which was you know, a really deadly shooter in the league and you know, um, you know, just a guy who you know, people really, really like. Um, you know, before- and if any team can do it, the Oklahoma City yeah. cut you off. Yep. Oklahoma City is the place for him to go because they yep. are, and we've talked about it. They're such a good development team that they could probably find out what what was wrong and get him back on that that flow. Yeah, I mean, they did it. You know, most recently, the the big success story was Al Horford. Right. But that was kind of what happened with Chris Paul in a sense, too. When he went there, it was seen as a little bit of a distressed asset. And they, you know, rebuilt him up and got him moved off. Horford, obviously, you know, they worked with him to get him right and they got him off to Boston, where he's been very good the last couple of years. So, yeah, Bertans, I think, is going to be, you know, we'll see. You know, it's a, it's a, very crowded Oklahoma city roster where there's a lot of guys who need time. And over the last couple of years, one thing they've done is they've made sure basically everybody gets a chance to play there. They, they've you know kind of cycled through all different guys and, and they're, they're going through, you know, some stuff in their front court. They're going to be bringing it, bringing in Chet Holmgren this year after he missed his rookie year. We'll see if there's you know another free agent to come or not, but Bertans would not shock me at all. If he carves out a role there, but this trade was really about getting up to get Kassam Wallace and bring him in and have him kind of um, step into that guard group there. It's a very crowded guard group now in Oklahoma City, which you know has a lot of people wondering, you know, could Lou Dort be on the move down the line? You know, could could something happen with Trey Mann uh, before he gets to be extension eligible? Is that you know a move they could make? So the the Thunder are definitely not done yet. Porzingis goes to Boston. Smart goes to Memphis. I really like this move for Memphis in getting Smart to fill in for the time that John Morant is going to be suspended. His D fits really well with that Memphis team as well. Mm -hmm. But with the Porzingis going to Boston, is that a good fit? From your end, I mean, you've been watching Boston forever. So do you think that's going to be a good fit with that team, with that roster? I think so. It has a potential to be. They like to play a lot of five out, and that's where Porzingis is really dangerous. He has some of the deepest range um, of anybody in the NBA. He he shoots uh, a really high percentage from 28 feet and beyond, so he's not a guy who needs to play hugged up to the arc at all. Uh, this past season, he really did a much better job as a role man, as well as punishing switches with smalls. He used to earlier in his career. If he got a small on him, he tried to take him all the way to the rim. And now he's realized, I'm only going to get to 10, 12 feet, and I can turn and shoot over just about anybody in the league. So that's going to be you know, something that Boston, I think, will utilize quite a bit. Again, that deep floor spacing out of him, they'll use that to open up driving lanes and really open up the floor for Tatum and Brown. So I think you know that part is interesting. They're they a very different team now. They're, they're going to trend towards being a bigger team. I don't think they'll play as much with Tatum at the four as they have in the past uh, you know, season or so. So they'll probably go back more to two big lineups and those kind of things. And they're going to miss Marcus Smart. You know, they're, 
there's a whole basketball component to what you know he brings his defense his playmaking his ball handling but you know he was the heart and soul of that team you know so that's going to be kind of tough for them as well as you know not having him as their kind of guy that they they you know knew they they had all the time so that's gonna be tough but if there was a grit and grind grizzly that wasn't actually on the grizzlies it's marcus smart i mean he is perfect you mentioned he'll be the short-term fill-in for john Morant. that's what he's going to do early in the year my guess is he'll start at point guard for them as tyus jones went out to the washington wizards as part of this three-team deal then i think smart will eventually transition to when john Morant is back he'll be the Dylan Brooks replacement on the wing. And he's a little shorter than Dylan Brooks, but he's not any smaller than Dylan Brooks is. He's just as long uh, wingspan wise, just as strong. He's you know, really tough. So I think you know, all together, um, you know, we're in a spot where smarts, you know, just a really good addition for Memphis. And I think, you know, they're going to fall in love with him and everything he does. Porzingis ended up exercising exercising his player option in order Mm -hmm. to make this trade work so now that he's on boston will or do you expect boston to float an extension to him with the veteran extension or is this a situation where he's expiring so they can go through through the season uh to do an extension or does he get to free agency and they go from there yeah so they're gonna do by all accounts an extension with him the interesting thing is because he was traded, now the extended trade rules trigger where they can't go beyond a certain amount for that extension in terms of years or raise on it. The figure that's been floated out there is two years, $77 million. Feels, to me, feels about right, you know, for, for what he is as a player, what he can become, you know, down the line. So I think there's a chance that's what we see happen here is, um you know, he signed some form of extension <clears throat> um, as long as it fits within the extended trade rules and he'll want to get that done versus waiting. If he waits longer, um, it could, could run out longer. But my guess is there's, this is one of those wink, wink, pick up your option. We'll make the trade and then we'll get you extended, you know, on the backside of that and take care of you. And that's, that's probably going to be where that goes. Cause Brad Stevens has preferred so far as a general manager, the stability of knowing, you know, he's got guys locked in a contract. So I think that's going to continue. As I mentioned earlier, the Chris Paul Jordan Poole trade ended up going right before the draft, so it kind of got lost with all the draft hoopla <laughs> going on. So Chris Paul is now going to be flipped from Washington. Washington gets Jordan Poole, so Golden State gets a the semi short term Chris Paul non guaranteed next year. We're waiting to see what the actual guarantees are on the actual. Well, it's going to become guaranteed in like a yeah, day. Yeah, it's going to right? become full, yeah. So it'll be fully guaranteed at 30.8. Jordan Poole is at 27.9, uh, but has long-term contract. So Washington gives up the short-term to go long-term. Uh, do you? Th- what is your sense with this trade? Yeah, I mean, we're at a spot here with uh, – let's talk the Warriors side of it first. They are starting to manage that long-term money on their books. And then one of the ways they're doing that is by taking on a little bit of money in the short term. And maybe not in the end because uh, they added Patrick Baldwin and Ryan Rollins to this trade too. So it'll probably end up more uh, salary neutral for them. I've not run out that full math, but my guess is that's where it lands. But what's going to happen here is in this trade is you're going to see, um, Chris Paul come in 
probably spends a year with the Warriors at most. But what the Warriors did is we go back when they were going to lose Kevin Durant to the Brooklyn Nets. They made a really savvy move of saying, hey, we'll make let's make this a double sign and trade and we'll take back D'Angelo Russell. It wasn't really about acquiring D'Angelo Russell uh, for uh, the Warriors. What it was really about was conserving that salary spot that they were going to lose with Durant. Now they're conserving that salary spot here in a way um, where they had to get rid of something. They could have probably found a straight salary dump for Jordan Poole, but what they decided to do instead was let's move Jordan Poole out and let's um, get into a position where we put um, Chris Paul in our books as effectively a $30.8 million expiring salary because next year's contract is fully non-guaranteed. So what will happen in this case is if they want to trade Chris Paul down the line, you know, to another team and, you know, re re kind of, you know, change up their rotation and all that, they'll be able to do that. So I think that's a lot of what this was about for the Warriors, just as much as it was, hey, you get Chris Paul on the court. He's a nice, you know, backup fit. He's going to be a backup in Golden State. I've seen some people say, well, he's going to start. That's going to be a weird lineup. He's not. He's probably going to play behind Stephen Curry for as long as he's on the team. But my guess is this was far more for the Warriors about having that trade asset than it was about having Chris Paul on the roster as a basketball player. For the short time that the GM has been in place, they've done quite a bit of moves in Washington. Now they have completely new seven new players on that team, (laughs) plus plus the draft picks that they had. What do we expect out of this Washington team now that they've sort of shuffled the uh, chairs on the Titanic here? Yeah, more of that, right? It's going to be more movement, more other stuff. They have uh, approximately... 35 point guards on the roster it feels like um so you're definitely going to see some movement there um i'd be you know surprised if you know a couple of these veteran guys that they acquired are on the team i think they're probably more likely to move on from a couple of those guys whether it be danilo gallinari or mike Mascala, or you know we'll, we'll see if they even keep tyus jones or uh you know uh, they, they have uh, monte morris on the roster still delon wright um I liked Patrick Baldwin as, you know, kind of a flyer for them. I think there's still talent there. I still like Jordan Poole as a player. I think he's somebody who needs to start and, you know, really be involved as opposed to coming off the bench. I think he had transitioned into, you know, that kind of role and then was forced back to the bench one. Yeah, couldn't that be like a Jordan Brunson, uh, Jalen Brunson situation from Dallas and then, you know, took the next step going to New York? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely can be. I, I'm not going to say that it goes quite that well, um, but mostly because the team around him is not very good. Um, but but we'll see. But yeah, Washington, this is all about transition, right? This is we're clear enough. We're clear and clear and clear. And we're getting rid of the big salaries you know, off the books. I, I'd be shocked if Kyle Kuzma returns to the Wizards. I've seen some people suggest, well, maybe maybe he will now. You know, maybe he's more likely. I, I find that to be fairly unlikely that that's the direction that they're going to want to go. So, yeah, I mean, well, we're in a spot here with this Wizards team where it really is, you know, it's it's full rebuild time and they they finally ripped the Band-Aid off and they're going forward. And I know people have been very, very critical of the return for Beal and even somewhat for the return for Porzingis. But in reality, this was about clearing out the salaries. This wasn't about anything but beyond that. Yeah, 100%. Any names that you're hearing, one or two names that maybe 
traded here in the next day or two leading up to the league year or once the league year hits that hasn't already been, you know, agreed upon that we should know about. Yeah, nothing really is is out there. The the Hawks making the Collins trade, that was kind of the big one that everybody's waiting on. The Damian Lillard sounds like his meeting with the Blazers went well, and we're going to continue the, you know, decade-plus-long partnership there in Houston of trying to build a winner around Lillard and not no change there. There's um, a lot of people are looking at, you know, what are the Spurs going to do with their cap space because they're not generally a team that wades into free agency all that often, and it seems a little premature to do that with Wembenyama coming in. So that they, they're probably going to be linked to teams. Houston is going to be the uh, cap space boogeyman, right, for all of these teams uh, out there, and agents are going to use them as far as, you know, hey, the Rockets have interest in my guy, but as far as teams moving money around, if anything, you'll maybe uh, New York line something up using Evan Fournier's contract. Um, that that is certainly possible. That's been been on the table, and uh, they gave permission, I believe. Um, I think I have that correct, and it's what I was told to his agent to work on finding deals if they if they could find anything. So you know they're, they're probably going to be be looking to see you know hey can we get him off somewhere where he can can play again and play play a role on a team so but for the most part i think the trade action is gonna settle down now until we get into um uh free agency opening up and teams are like hey we actually have a chance to sign player x but that means we're gonna move some money or whatever it is that's that's gonna be what what plays out here over the next uh you know three four days Option decisions. We've had 16 option decisions already that are veteran, excluding all of the rookie scales and that kind of stuff. Seven TBDs. Let's start with the options that have already happened. Like I said, there's been 16. Has there been anything that stuck out for you right now with uh, whether exercised or declined options? Yeah, I mean, I I think... Derek Rose having his team option declined by the Knicks is not necessarily a surprise, but I think it is a sign that the Knicks did not have a big trade, uh, you know, cooking for them because had they had a big trade, you know, in place, they probably would have wanted to use Rose's expiring deal as part of that. So that says to me, there's probably not a monster trade coming for the Knicks. You know, maybe they can still get there using Fournier and other pieces, but, but no, uh, Derek Jones Jr. Opting out of his player option is weird to me because I don't know that he's going to get anything more than a minimum deal. And that was, you know, slightly more than the minimum for him. So that one was a little, little bit odd. And then Gary Trent Jr. Opting in, with the Raptors was a surprise. Um, to me, that says he and his agent surveyed you know, the league and realized, all right, there probably isn't anything uh, you know more than the mid level out there for him. So take the eighteen million or so now, and then we'll we'll figure it out uh, next year. But everything else pretty much went to form um, as we expected here. Porzingis, we already talked about, obviously opting in to make the trade happen. Uh, he he was a little bit up in the air, but for the most part, I think we're into a spot where you know these these options all played out exactly how we expected. All right, by my count, there's seven decisions that still need to be made, including Josh Hartz, who moved his deadline back until Thursday so that they can decide what they want to do with that. So I'm going to say the name and you tell me if they're going to opt in or opt out based on what your knowledge or what you're hearing. So Taylor Horton Tucker. 
Yeah, I think he opts in. I think he's going to look at it and see there's not $11 million for him in this free agent market. So opt in, hopefully have another strong season and hit free agency in a better better place next summer. Jordan Clarkson. Opts out, but I don't think that takes him off the table to re-sign with the Jazz. I think that's about, hey, I want to add a few more years of guaranteed money to my contract. Um, I, I think he opts out and something gets done with Utah. Javon Carter. Opt out. His deal's only just above the minimum. He knows that'll be there for him if he wants it again this summer. So I think he he opts out. Uh, probably sticks right there in Milwaukee, but just on a new deal for slightly more money. Victor Oladipo. Definitely going to opt in. You know, unfortunately, the injury in the playoffs made that basically a guarantee. You know, at about I think it's nine point five million um, that he'll be on the Heat books next year, and then. Unfortunately for him also, that probably puts him in position to be put into a trade if Miami's making a big move. James Harden. Opt out for sure, if nothing else, to add, more again, more guaranteed years. Now the question is, is there a max deal waiting for him in terms of either single season or if you know, teams can max him out at four years, whether it's the Sixers or the, uh, the uh, I was going to say the Rockets. I should just say another team, but you know the Rockets have been prominently mentioned with Harden. For every report, we get that they're no longer interested in Harden. We get one that says, oh, no, they are still interested and we're there. So that one's going to play out here over the next few days. But he'll opt out and then add at least probably a couple years. I'm starting to think this comes in as max salary in the first season but not the full max years probably is only going to get you know a two or maybe three year deal Dante DiVincenzo he's going to opt out with the Warriors probably head on somewhere else for more money um had a nice year with Golden State you know pretty good player so he'll opt out and I think he's going to be out of the mix there in Golden State they drafted again Brandon Pajemski to kind of fill that role there I think looking to hand Moses Moody a bigger role as well so uh, I think DiVincenzo's time in Golden State is done and Josh Hart yeah, this is the fun one. So he pushed his, his uh, opt-out date back by, I think it was four or five days um, from, you know, he was right after the draft and he pushed it back. And what that says to me is there's two things happening here. One is the Knicks are trying to get in position to use the full mid-level exception at 12.4 million. The only way they can really do that is if Hart opts in and then is on the, the books at a lower number at around just under 13 million, that'll free the Knicks up to use that full mid-level. But for Hart to do that, then that means, hey, why am I opting in for less money than I could get in free agency? And that to me says there, there may be an extension coming here for Hart. And it may be an extension where it's for a little bit more money than what we thought, because let's say they had him pegged as a 15 or $16 million player. They'll give him a little bit more money in the extension to make up for the money he would have missed out on uh, by opting in. So that's my guess is you're going to see him probably opt in and then the Knicks extend him is, is likely the way that one will play out. Yeah, that, that is definitely the interesting player left on the board outside of the James Harden, however that structure happens. But the Josh Hart is interesting for the fact that they acquired him at the trade deadline, pushed this back, and how that roster is and how New York played down the stretch last season. Uh, definitely going to be interesting to see how that flushes out. Veteran extensions. We had a veteran extension yesterday uh, or day before at this point. Nas Reed. He, with Minnesota, agreed to a three-year, $42 million extension. Uh, he was coming off uh, the minimum, I believe, 
and yep. he got an extreme salary bump here. So c- can you break down how this salary extension is working for Nas Reed because of the extreme bump in salary? Yeah, so what happens is when a player is under the average uh, player salary, which Nas Reed obviously was well under, um, their extension, can, can they can get um, in the first year of an extension 120% of the average player salary. So that's exactly what he got here, which is about you know, $12.9 or so, just under $13 million. Then you get the raises off of that, which brings you up to $42 million in total. He could have gotten a fourth year and you know, brought him up to around 59 million or so. Well, probably slightly less, about 58 ish. Um, But what happens is for Nas Reed, he's still a pretty young guy. So by doing a three-year deal with a player option on the third year, he is now able to get right back out on the market in a couple of years and, you know, be, be right back out there when he'll be just entering his prime uh, season. So that that's, you know, good work by him as well. Um, so we'll, we'll see now for Minnesota. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of money locked up in the center position, especially in, you know, the way the game is played today. But if they think, you know, Reed was, you know, asset arbitrage, we couldn't lose him in free agency. We, we needed to keep him, you know, then this is a you know, very fair value deal for him. It's one of those ones where if you take all contacts though, you're like, yeah, I like that contract for Nas Reed. That's perfectly fine. But then when you add it to Rudy Gobert's on the team, Carl Anthony Towns is on the team. Both of those guys are signed long-term. That's a ton of money locked up in the center position. But on the flip side, the Wolves are now covered if they need to make a trade. Um, that's you know something they can do with even more ease than they could have done prior. Yeah, the, this roster is so interesting. I'm, I mean, I'm looking at the positional breakdown right now, <laughs> and they've got three centers and four power forwards. And yeah, you It's know, a weird it's, team. It it is a definite weird team. So something's going to have to not a lot of wing depth that team uh, on that roster. Yep. Yeah. So (laughs) I I guess we'll I guess we'll see where where Minnesota goes with this. I mean, I've already started hearing from what I listen to. You know, Carl Anthony Towns uh, rumors for trades being floated out there. I don't know. I don't know what this team. Yeah, I don't think anything happens with Towns this year. Um, or at least this summer, but I do think that's going to be, you know, on the table. You know, I had, uh, you know, was listening to something and someone said, you know, well, you know, that's why the Warriors got Chris Paul's contract, right? So they could throw that into a, to a town trade, which kind of broke my brain a little bit because that's just, you know, t- talk about saying, all right, let's stay super expensive forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but maybe, right. It's, it's right. that, that, that could be, you know, the line of thinking there. I tend to think it's more just whoever becomes available. You know, we, we now have a big chunk of salary match and in Chris Paul's contract, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely so, something's going to give there in Minnesota eventually with those guys. So we'll, we'll see, but yeah, there, there's, there's work to be done. I don't, I don't, dislike the roster i just think it's yeah it's just a weird roster yeah you just need to rebalance uh, a little bit and that's fine and also nas reed too let's not forget it's not like carl anthony towns is a picture of health right this guy tends to miss some time each year so you know you you don't want to go in with just gobert and towns is your only two centers on the roster so i kind of get get keeping nas reed there as well and they, they seem committed to basically saying hey uh, Cat, he he's a four for us right now. Where we're not thinking of, thinking of him as anything else. Are there any players that you can see or predict that might get into veteran extension here in the next uh, forty eight 
hours or so. Yeah, there, there's a couple guys that that make some sense if their teams can can do something that you know doesn't necessitate going into free agency to get more money. So I would look at guys like Chris Middleton with the Bucks. You know, he opted out of forty plus million. He's probably not going to touch that kind of money in a single season, but adding years onto his deal. So you could see the box maybe come into, or yeah, he did opt out. Um, sorry. I was making sure that that, that one was already done. Um, did they, they could add years onto his contract and keep him at, you know, a very healthy salary that he, that he would have been at um, with that now 40 million, because we're still in this current year, he would have to start at that number, but that's, you know, not the end of the world. Um, they, they could, could figure out a way around that. D'Angelo Russell is a free agent. If the Lakers are just going to keep him and not go the cap space route, he's somebody that you could see uh, potentially get um, come in and then sign an extension on. Jordan Clarkson, if he opts out, is a guy you could see the Jazz just say, hey, let's not even do the free agency thing. Let's just get an extension done. We already talked about uh, Josh Hart in that position. Uh, this is something that Harrison Barnes, if the Kings are like, yeah, we could create all this cap space, but we can also get you at a much less number um, or a much lower number. Uh, let, let's get you uh, signed up here and keep, keep you in the fold. I think Brooke Lopez probably goes to free agency because I don't know that he'd be able to get as much money as he probably should um, there. So we'll, we'll see how that one comes up. Mason Plumley's a guy where if the Clippers are like, yeah, we're going to keep you right around the same salary amount. They could just do work and extension. And that's a lot of times what we see uh, with these deals as just you know do do the extension because we're going to keep the salary in the same range and then let's go the last two guys i'll keep i'm kind of keeping an eye on but i don't expect it um which would be in the same exact situation as nas reed are gabe vincent and max Struess of the miami heat um they're probably not going to do extensions because i think both of them are hoping to get more than the you know we said nas reed got 13 million or almost 13 million um they're probably hoping to land more than that in first year salary but if either one of them gets a read here over the next day or so of you know that's probably not out there for us then maybe you could see an extension get done with either one of those guys with the heat all right should be interesting to see Next 48, if any of those veteran extensions hit. Uh, final piece today, 23-24 final cap projections. You posted an article uh, a couple days ago uh, breaking down. <laughs> Already the, out of date. <laughs> uh, right, and, and I'm going to get to that point. But break, breaking down the four tiers now, it used to be three, now we're adding in the super tax. So we've got cap space teams non-taxpayer teams, taxpayer teams, and the super tax teams. Already out of date because of the John Collins trade, but it is what it is, so you can update us on here. As of the posting of the article, there was eight teams that were cap space teams by your projections, the Rockets, the Jazz, the Spurs, the Kings, the Pacers, the Pistons, the Magic, and the Thunder. Now that the Utah with the John Collins acquisition, does Utah still have cap space by your projections? 
They do. I still got them around $28 because I'm not factoring in Jordan Clarkson's uh, cap hold into that or him opting in. So I think what they'll uh, you know, likely do there is you know Jordan Clarkson goes off the books and, and they'll use that. That doesn't mean they won't re-sign Jordan Clarkson, but I don't know that he's going to get you know as much as what his cap hold is. So at that point, you kind of take it off the books and then you replace it. So about $28 million in flexibility still uh, for the Jazz even after the Collins trade. Which of those teams do you expect to be the most aggressive with the uh, free agency offseason? It's a really fun question because it's it, it's going to be the Rockets just because how much they have to spend. There's a sense of even if it's not James Harden, they want to get veterans on that roster. For Ime Udoka, they, they've drafted nine players in the last three first rounds um, of the draft. So that's, you know. That, that's just crazy, right? They're, they're going to do some form of consolidation there. Uh, they're going to go go use that cap space to bring in some veteran players. So they're going to be the most aggressive. The other teams, I think, will be more uh, situationally or targeted aggressiveness, meaning I think you know, Indiana is a fun team where they've got $32 million or so to spend, but they really have one or two roster spots open. So they can go pick out a guy that they really like and say, all right, we're going to overpay if we need to, even by a little bit for this guy, as long as you keep it a short enough deal, it won't turn sour. So I'd keep an eye on maybe you know, Kyle Kuzma or if Harrison Barnes does you know, end up leaving the Kings, he's somebody who can make a lot of sense for the Pacers. Just add one more forward sized player uh, to that mix. Sacramento getting their cap space. Do they use some of that cap space to help with the extension of Sabonis or is it more of a free agent play with that cap space? Yeah, that's kind of fun because they can do that renegotiation piece with right. Sabonis and, and I think that could be the plan or we could see Sabonis be like, hey, it's fine. I'll play it out you know, when I'm on and we'll figure it out next summer. Uh, as far as a new deal goes, because they can't they they can't do the veteran extension with him because his salary is just too low for an all NBA guy. He wouldn't get a big enough raise off of what he makes now. And they can't do the designated player because they did not acquire him while he was on his rookie scale deal. So that takes both of those basically off the table. But they could use this newly created cap space to renegotiate his deal up into a range where then they could extend him off of that at a nice number. So that could be the way they go. Um, or if they really like a player, you know, they they're somebody that people have said, you know, they should go after Kyle Kuzma. It could make a lot of sense. And he and he could. Um, I think, you know, a forward or a wing uh there in Sacramento is you know is the, the way forward. So we'll see if that's the direction they go. They're they're gonna be a really fun team to watch here over the next week. Yeah, and if it, we do get to that, I'm giving you the homework of that's going to be a next contract piece for Sabonis <laughs> with the math right? that's involved in that because yep. that'll be a fun piece. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and the par- process to get there too, right, is is also a little bit fun to revisit too. Definitely. Last with the cap space teams, remind us why it's important for these teams to have to spend to get to the floor now. Yeah, so there's two things coming with the new CBA that are very different changes for these teams. So let's go back to the Pacers uh, this past season. They sat way under the floor for most of the year, sitting on a ton of cap space, and they used the large bulk of it to renegotiate and extend Miles Turner's deal. Great deal for them. Smart play. Um, Scott, I don't remember. We wrote about it months before it happened. It's something that they should do. And they, they finally did it. And 
Now this year, what's changing? Well, let's go back again to San Antonio. They never hit the floor, so they're going to pay out you know a, a little bonus money to all the guys that were on their roster uh, this past season. So now, why it's important to hit the floor moving forward? The NBA basically said, "Hey, if you don't spend that money by day one of the regular season, so once the off season is over, um, what we're going to do is we're not going to let you carry thirty million in cap space into the regular season. We're going to put a cap hold on your books that basically eats that 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 ability to spend that money up. Um, you know, it, you you won't have it. It'll just be you know sitting there, and you're basically going to be treated like you're already at the floor. The other piece is this is not as much about cap space as it is about luxury tax and revenue sharing. Those teams um, that pay into the luxury tax, they end up giving a payout to all of the teams that did not pay into the luxury tax as a form of revenue sharing. What happens with that tax money now under the new CBA, if you're not at the floor, you don't get it. So basically there not only is the CBA much of the focus and we're guilty of it too, because it's the more impactful immediate things is on hammering those super expensive teams. They are also going to force teams to spend more money as well uh, at the bottom end of the salary ranges. So they're trying to push everybody towards the middle by squeezing them on both ends. Non-taxpayer teams, 10 of them, Hornets, Bulls, Cavaliers, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Knicks, Trailblazers, Raptors, and Wizards. So what does it mean to be a non-taxpaying team? Yeah, you're basically right in between the salary cap and the first tax apron. Um, so you you are sitting there, you know, that first tax apron is about $7 million ahead uh, or above the um, – uh, luxury tax line. So for this year, that's about 172 million. So you're between the cap and and that uh, that gives you a uh, the non-taxpayer MLE of 12.4 million uh, to spend. You also have the biannual exception to spend. That's about 4.5 million is what that projects out to. So you'll have that to spend as well if you wanted to go to spending the entirety of. Uh, the biannual exception or any part of the biannual exception or uh, spending most of the um, the non-taxpayer, which is basically equivalent to the taxpayer, Emily, those hard cap you. So what happens is you get hard capped at that first apron. But for most of these teams, that they have more than enough wiggle room in between there to be able to spend uh, that $12.4 million and go forward. The biannual exception is rarely used. It's used basically one team a year or so. I will use that, and that's more if hey, we've got one other guy who want to get. I want to go back because I skipped this with the cap space teams. If I can very quickly... They are in a spot where they also made the room exception far more lucrative. It's now seven point seven million, so it essentially, or effectively, I guess, flip flopped with the um, taxpayer mid level, which we're going to get into next. Um, where in value, so so you use all your cap space, and then you still have about seven point seven million to spend as a cap space team on that room exception. So that's just another nice chunk of spending power for those teams that are going to already have a lot of money to spend anyway. Taxpayer teams, seven as of right now, uh, Hawks, Celtics, Nets, Nuggets, Lakers, Pelicans, and 76ers. But with the John Collins being moved off of the Hawks, will they now move, by your projections, back down to a non-taxpayer? I'm not going to move them because their whole mandate 
by multiple reports was to get out of the the luxury tax. And if they used the non-taxpayer, they'd go right back into it. So my guess is they're, they're going to limit themselves to using the taxpayer uh, MLE, if anything. And I I don't even know that they'll use that. I I think their roster is pretty well stuffed at this point. Brooklyn seems to be an oddball with this list. Am, Am I incorrect in saying that? Um, (laughs) It does seem weird, right? Because what's going on with the Nets is if you look at it on its face, I think what's one thing people kind of forget is Ben Simmons is still on this roster at $37.9 million. Uh, So that's a big chunk of change, right? You you have a max salary on this roster. He just gets forgotten because he isn't played. So that, that becomes a whole thing there. But what, what also is important with the Nets, they go into the summer um, I project them about seven, just under $8 million um, under the luxury tax line, which puts them, you know, roughly because the important thing with the apron that you have to factor in that includes all um, bonuses and the things like there. So they're only about 12.2 million under the apron. So yeah, in theory, they could probably come close to using uh, the full MLE, you know, pending how some roster decisions go. And if they were to waive a guy like Edmund Sumner or something like that, but Cam Johnson is a restricted free agent. He is going to get a contract that ranges anywhere between 20 to 25 million, maybe even slightly more in first year salary. If that happens, they're going to be right up over the tax line again. And that's why I have them as a taxpayer team. So overall, what does it mean to be a taxpayer team? Are there any restricted uh, limits to roster movement with this taxpayer level in the new CBA? Yeah, there are. And and the big big one is, again, to restate it, they knocked down the taxpayer MLE amount to only $5 million. Um, And it is going to be $5 million for this year. And then it will raise as the cap raises in future years. So that's, you know, part one. It's already... Now it's, it's, you know, basically the equivalent of what the room exception used to be. So still a nice chunk of change if you, you know, want to get a veteran player and get them signed and they want a little bit more than they could get on the full uh, veteran minimum in terms of actual pay. You, you go ahead and do that if that's where you want to go. But if you use the tax pyramid level, you get hard capped at the second apron, which is there's about a 10 million or so wiggle room in between the first and second aprons, 10 and a half million. So what happens there is if you use that 5 million, now you're getting very tight uh, to, to that um, uh, second apron. And there's already a lot of the teams we mentioned, Boston, for example, they may be too tight to even use it anyway. So they may have the taxpayer, but they may say, eh, it's just not worth it. Let's just do veteran minimum contracts instead. So that's going to be you know, something to keep an eye on here as we move forward as teams navigate this new second apron super tax world. Speaking of super tax, the super tax teams are the Warriors, Clippers, Heat, Bucks, and Suns as of right now per your projections. This is brand new with this new CBA. So, so what does this mean going into this 23-24 season for a super tax team? Yeah, so in the case of teams like the Warriors and the Clippers and the Suns, they've already blown past the super tax line. They are you know, way, way past it. They can't even see it. The Heat and the Bucks are, that's a projection knowing 
the Bucs would love to retain Chris Middleton. They'd like to retain Burke Lopez. By the time you sign those two guys, you're going to be pushing up against the super tax and you still need to fill out your roster. The Heat are almost against it already, and that's without Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, if they're going to resign one of those guys. Um, they're, again, going to be up against that. So what happens if you're a super tax team? You are limited to, here's all you can do, trades and the trade rules this summer are still extremely, um, you know, uh, I guess loose. You can still do all the trades you would have done. Like normal, you can aggregate salaries together. We've, we've already seen the Warriors have a trade like that planned uh, in the Jordan Poole, Chris Paul trade. You could do all sorts of stuff that you you could do before. Um, in future years, those trade rules get even more restrictive. You can't aggregate salaries together. You can't trade draft picks that are seven years out. It was all this stuff that comes with it. But for this summer, for our purposes, what will happen to these teams is they will have no signing exceptions. So the example I use on this is last year, Golden State, even though they were way, way over the tax line, they signed Dante DiVincenzo and brought him in. That will not be allowed going forward. That They are you know, not able to do that. So what's going to happen is they're going to be in a position where um, – you're limited to resigning your own players and signing veteran minimums and signing your draft picks as well as making trades. And that's it uh, to build out your roster for this coming season. Great piece, Keith. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at it, give it a read, even though it is uh, already altered as we stated, but <laughs> that's how it oh, goes this time. Yeah, yeah, it is. But 95% of it is, is very solid. Give it a read, which leads us the into Jazz are still a cap space team. They're just uh, yeah. slightly less of one. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, which leads us into we are days away from free agency. So real quick before we get out of here, free agency buzz, anything you're hearing about that we should know about? Yeah, I'm going to give you a um, just a generality. Look yep. for more trades. Um, there are, it's not a great free agent class. Um, it just just isn't. There, there are only a handful of, uh, you know, key free agents and we don't even know that guys like James Harden, Chris Middleton are even going to change teams. So look for more trades. That's going to be how teams are going to keep things moving and keep things open to, you know, really uh, improving their roster. And the big reason I say that too, is there are several teams um, that are in a position where it becomes a, um, or, or let me rephrase that. They're looking at the league right now and saying Denver won the title. That's no disrespect to Denver, but they nobody fears the Nuggets the way they felt uh, feared the Warriors. Where for you know a number of years there it felt like everybody was just playing for second with the Warriors. Now everybody is, hey, why why not us? Why can't that be us uh, moving forward? So they they are going to uh, really push and you know really get after it uh, there. So I th- think we're in a you know fun spot for the league this year. It feels like you know, we've already seen several huge trades go down. And I think we've got a handful more uh, coming down the line. I think this is going to be a really, really fun, uh, you know, summer to come here with, with the uh, NBA. Speaking of, you've been doing quick trade analysis that we've been putting up. John Collins to the jazz post is up that you can read. Uh, the latest off season preview is the Philadelphia 76ers. That is now up for viewing. What else is next, Keith? 
Yeah, we, we've got a handful more of those previews to come. We've got the Lakers, Celtics, Heat, and Nuggets. Uh, they will all be up by the opening of free agency, I promise, uh, probably within the next couple of days. Coming a little bit later today, or maybe it'll already be up by the time folks listen to this, um, we've got the uh, uh, non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed contracts. Um, we did this for the team and player options. This is now going to go up with me predicting what happens with those. Um, and these, we mostly focus on options that have a July uh, due date because those are what impacts free agency. That'll go up a little bit later today. And then on Friday, before free agency opens at 6 p.m. Eastern, we will have, because by then all the option decisions will have been made. Uh, most of the guaranteed decisions that have major impacts will have been made. We will have our top 50 free agents ranked uh, and available. So as you can follow along, you can cross guys off the list as our ranked free agents and the like. So that a lot of stuff uh, still to come here over the next few days. And uh, on that note, Scott, I think I'm going to go get to writing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if you want to ask Keith any questions, feel free to do so on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Keith will be talking again next week. This time it will be free agency and we'll be talking about some deals that have already been uh, agreed upon. Thanks for everything that you've been doing so far. Keep it up and I will let you go right. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.